Can I sleep in your brain tonight, stranger? A Sandman Podfic, written by Acuus8 and read by Literarian. Summary Dream of the Endless gets more than he bargained for in the Burgess's basement. Hop Gadling is just trying to live his comfortable domestic life. Neither of them are prepared for what comes after the glass shatters. Chapter 1 Mockery of the Sky Nineteen sixteen. Flesh is a burden. Dream had unwisely ignored the musing of his librarian that dreams were fragile in the waking world, and it was a mistake Dream would suffer for the making. Indeed, dreams were weak, and the lord of them had been wrenched away like some hapless maiden into the dark basement of one Roderick Burgess. It had been a long time since Dream had assumed a flesh body for any extended period of time. He does not prefer it. He does not enjoy it. He seethes over the idea that he has a form which is so susceptible and immutable. Yet here Dream is assaulted by all the barbarities of a flesh form. He lies helpless on the stone as the binding circle stifles both his abilities and his connection to the dreaming. There are so many sensations he suddenly cannot pass and noises he cannot control loud and ringing around the shell of his ear. He is aware of the presence of many others. Humans. His abductors. Dream's flesh heart beats in his chest and he can feel it thudding against the cage of bone. His ribs. Dream does not need to breathe, but the action occurs anyway, like the body assumes what its master needs. Oxygen means nothing to him. Dream's captors are speaking. Be careful, don't break the binding circle. A man's voice, graveled and rich with age, orders. Dream's helm obscures his vision, and regardless, Dream's whole body is twitching from the agony of the summoning, and he screws his eyes shut against the tide of physicality. Dream's hand rests on his pouch of sand, so Dream feels when the pouch is wrested from his grasp. A second later, the ruby follows, tugged from around his neck. Well, let's see what other treasures you have for us, the man's voice says and whips off Dream's meager covering. Dream twitches. He is exposed and weak and an endless should not be so. The agony is unbearable. Then a thought. Jessamy. The bird! 
she flies away from his body, and Dream hears the mortals scuttle away from her. Fly away, fly far from here, Dream thinks after her. The man's voice cries out, and if Dream had any power over his facial muscles, he would smile. Father! A child's voice shouts. The flapping of wings fades away, and Dream knows Jessamie has escaped. Huh. The man grunts, and Dream listens to the crisp susurration of fabric being straightened. The action sends a breeze over Dream's skin, and he becomes aware of the chill of the basement. Not enough to freeze, but never enough to be warm. Things like temperature did not matter in the dreaming. Then Dream feels the shadow of the man fall over him, and he shivers as foreign hands remove his helm. Now he is bereft of all his tools. There is nothing left except the hope beyond hope his captors will make a mistake. We'll let our guest recover before we tell him our demands. The man, Roderick Burgess, Dream knows, says with finality. What amount of time passes, Dream does not know. He is so weak and although Dream does not sleep as mortals do, he wishes he did. He lies on the floor, storing energy. What use is he to move? The stone tiles are grainy and chilled, and Dream knows the floor was not laid with bare feet or bare skin in mind. The basement is thankfully quiet, except the occasional chit-chat of the guards. Dream is the monarch of his realm. He is accustomed to being beheld. He is unused to being watched and looked at. Dream understands the difference now. How many nightmares had Dream formed with the gaze in mind, preying on the fear of being watched? Oh, Dream had not understood what those nightmares meant to humanity. The guards look at his body, and their gaze is no different than if they had reached across the circle and stroked his skin. They talk about Dream sometimes, but they are either afraid or repulsed. They do not understand what they are partaking in. Dream remains curled like a babe in the womb for a time, before carefully stretching out muscles which have not been used in decades. If Dream had his power, this would be easy. But between the cold sinking into the flesh and the weakness of his body, even rolling onto his back is an exercise in careful, precise movement. Dream angles his head towards where the guards speak and opens his eyes for the first time since his capture. The floor is grey. The walls are grey. The columns which hold up the vaulted ceiling are grey, and the ceiling, oh, the ceiling, 
they have done this to mock Dream. Dream's realm is the night time, and when most of humanity spends their time with him and his realm. The ceiling is painted a perfect blue, dotted with yellow stars. A mockery of the night sky. Dream opens his mouth as if to cry out, but then he closes it. What would Dream even say? This capture is Dream's fault. Dream had been weak, and Lucienne had warned him, so good and loyal of her, until the end. And now the Dreaming was without its monarch. Roderick Burgess had no idea what he had done by capturing Dream of the Endless. Dream's absence would cause havoc both in his realm and this one. The guards are always present, though their station is useless. It is not as though Dream could break the rules of the binding. Dream can see it now, a painted circle in mustard, nine feet across with its incantations invoking the four elements. Ancient magic, a kind humans never should have learned. Dream brings his hands forward and stares at the pads of his fingers. They are more pink than they are in the dreaming, as Dream had wanted to give this flesh body a semblance of living to better blend in. He flexes them, watching all the joints and sinews work. He brings them forward and feels over his own face. The fingers meet something wet. Dream draws them back with alarm and blinks. A droplet of water runs down his face. Dream closes his eyes again and knows why he cries. He does not even have the power to stop the tears before they fall. Dream was used to a measure of control over his body and his emotions, and on this floor he has neither. The artist who painted the cosmos above him would never know how Dream wishes upon every one of them this agony of flesh would end. Perhaps false stars do not grant wishes. They come the next day and they bring with them fire and hammers and transform the basement into a forge. Dream opens his eyes occasionally, tracking their progress. They are making a cage. Dream knows this. Burgess may have been human, but he was not stupid. He had captured Dream by the old laws and he intended to keep Dream here. The blowing of the glass bubble was impressive and terrifying. Dream knew where this body was destined. But Jess often walked among the men and looked upon Dream. Dream kept his eyes shut against his gaze, not desiring to speak to the most evil of men. The noise was so loud, the banging of the hammers against metal. 
The smell of iron and silicon and sweat hung heavy in the air. It was repulsive. When the glass sphere was completed, Graham finally mustered up his energy towards his muscles and drew his limbs close to himself. How are we getting it in there? A man asks Burgess. Dream can only move within the bounds of the circle. You'll catch him, is Burgess's response. The next day, Dream crouches in the center of the nine feet of circle and faces down his glass cage. The weight of his body sways on the balls of his feet, and Dream watches the men carefully maneuver the glass dome to the outside of the circle. Burgess keeps an eye on them from the sideline, concern written across his features. The sphere has an opening at the top no more than three feet across. They want him inside of that. The men tip the glass on its side and, using an elaborate system of cloth and pulleys, bring it half inside the binding circle. The men's boots step over the circle so easily, but they are careful. They are wary. Dream shuffles backwards. He turns his head and glances back at the edge of the circle. The power radiates from it like a wall. Dream will not be able to cross it. It is a dance to bring the cage inside the circle without scuffing the incantations drawn on the floor. The edge of it inches closer. Dream inches back. Burgess crosses the moat and stands behind Dream. Dream wrenches his neck around and stares up at him. Whatever Burgess sees in Dream's eyes, it does not move him. Dream whips his head back to the cage, closing in on him. Burgess was right. Dream cannot move any farther, and the sphere is large enough and the man's legs there. There is nowhere to go. The power of the circle pops and sizzles in Dream's ears. If he crosses it, he will cease to exist. Dream may have been endless, and another would come to take his place, but Dream does not want to cease his existence. He crawls inside the glass. The inside of the globe is smooth. The glass is intangible and constantly curving. The glass lid is laid in, and quickly the brackets are anchored around it, and Dream is thus suspended. They pull his cage up, and it hangs above the mustard yellow of the circle, closer to the stars on the ceiling. There is no respite. Dream is always exposed, and although Dream does not share all the pesky feelings mortals do about nudity, he feels them all the same. He is powerless. Of course, Dream expects them to slip up in the next century. There is a war brewing. 
Mortals are tricky, but they are also inconsistent. And they die so, so easily. Dream cannot sit comfortably anywhere in the glass. Even cross-legged at the bottom of the glass curves up his buttocks and knocks into his knees, and the glass is even colder than the stone floor. The seam at the top is joined flush and held in place by the brackets of iron. The next day, Burgess gives his demands. They are laughable. Dream lays on the bottom of his cage and ignores him. If Dream had known how little the glass allowed him to feel, he would have moved more when he rested on the earth. There is only glass. There is only smooth glass and Dream's own hair, skin and nails, which are immortalized and unchanging. The air in the glass runs out, and although Dream does not need to breathe, it solidifies his lack of sensory input. First it was all too much, but now it is not enough. Nineteen eighty nine. Dream will not be able to uphold his side of the bargain with Robert Gatling. This is the only thought that echoes in the empty cavern of his mind. It has been 73 years since Dream was captured, and every single second of it has been nigh unbearable. 73 years of recycled air. Seventy-three years of glass and his own thin reflection, seventy-three years of nothing but his own skin and his own mind, and his fears compounding and tripping over one another in the desire to torment him. Poor Jessamy, loyal until her end, was dead for a second and final time. The splatter of her blood covered the glass for weeks until Burgess sent someone to clean it. Dream seethes with rage, but he will not give in to his demands. Roderick Burgess is dead, killed by his own folly against the glass of the cage he constructed. His death was unsatisfactory, and if Dream had a chance to travel to hell and curse him there, he would. His son, Alexander, was no better. A sniveling, fearful man who murdered Jessamy and clearly felt for Dream's plight, yet fear held him back from releasing Dream. The less said about Paul, the better. Dream hated them both. It was the longest Dream had ever been contained inside this flesh. Dream did not require the same things as humans. His body hungered but did not starve, thirsted but did not wither, his heart beat but inhaled no air. Dream had blood, 
Of this, he satisfied his curiosity 47 years ago by biting the skin of his palm and watching one droplet of sanguine pearl there. The guards changed, as did their clothes and the headlines on their newspapers. This was how Dream knew it to be 1989 by the mortal calendar. The guards were always the same in question. At first they were disgusted, then they became apathetic. Dream knew they thought of him as a curiosity and an object and not a being with thoughts and hopes and a purpose. Alexander Burgess never begged for anything like his father did. He was quiet. Sometimes he'd creep down to the cellar and sit in the room, his eyes focused on Dream but not really looking at him. Paul would find his husband and press a gentle kiss to his temple and lead him away. They were both getting older. One day, Alexander thunders down the stairs. He is angry. I can't do it anymore, Paul, he exclaims. Alexander's voice rings through the glass, distorted as every sound has been since Dream crawled inside. Darling, you know I try not to give an up. Alexander cuts him off. No, he is not your responsibility, he's mine, and I'm tired of staring at him and thinking about him and wondering how I'm going to get rid of him. It's as good of a plan as any, and neither of us are getting any younger. Alex huffs, marching up to Dream's cage and staring up at him. Dream stares impassively back at him. Alexander worries at his bottom lip and Paul catches up to him, hands resting on his knees. Paul barely spares a glance at Dream until he's approaching his husband like one approaches a wounded animal. You hurt my father, Alexander spits back at Paul. Dream can't do shit in there. Dream closes his eyes, ignoring the pain welling in his chest and the tears threatening to spill past his eyelids. It is not like he's going to be doing anything else. I'm tired, Paul. Alexander's voice cracks and Dream wants to bang the glass and scream at him, just let me go then. But he will not. Dream will not beg, not to any mortal man. Okay, okay, Paul says, and his arms soothe over Alexander's shoulders. He begins leading Alexander away. You'll make the arrangement soon, dear. Come on. Whatever the arrangements are, they steal away Dream's concentration. Whatever they are, they cannot truly hurt him any more than he already has been. Dream does not know how much time passes until Alexander returns to the basement. He has gotten a little older, but that could mean any score of years in Dream's presence. 
Alexander's face is set. He's carrying a large round tin can and he sets it on the ground, outside the binding circle. He goes back up the stairs and returns with more items. A stepladder, a tub and a bag. From the bag, Alexander pulls several flat pans and brushes. Alexander pries open the lid on the tin and Dream, who has shifted to lying on the bottom of his glass bauble, freezes. It is black paint. No, 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 he can't. Dream backs up as much as the glass will allow, and Alexander stares down at him imperiously. I sent all the order away a long time ago, Alexander says to him. But I had to reach back out to make sure this would be okay. He'll come by and change the binding too. Apparently, father could have taken the circle off the floor years ago. His voice is monotone. There is space to step inside of the circle, and Alexander lays out his tools there. He is ever so careful to dance over the circle. He is nearly pressed against the glass, they're closer than they've been in a long time. Alexander doesn't speak at all for the next few hours. He starts at the bottom of the sphere and Dream swears he feels the first slash of black paint over the glass. Alexander is methodical. He ensures every inch is covered before he moves on, and whatever formulation of paint he's chosen sticks and obscures without streaks. It is so dark, and it shuts out the light completely. Dream contorts himself to wherever Alex isn't painting, drinking in all the same exact ceiling and walls he's been staring at for close to a century. He is not going to see them any longer. The blue and yellow of the painted sky above Dream are mocking him. But Dream had been weak and he wasn't going to cave now. Maybe when the younger Burgess died, someone would not care for the massive black sphere in the center of a basement and move it, and Dream would escape. What if everyone forgets about you, even humanity? A voice whispers in the back of Dream's mind. Alexander finishes two-eighths of the sections bracketed by Aaron, and then he stops for the night. He returns every night, and on the seventh day, only one section remains. The section faces the grated doors, and Dream curls up against this last bastion of the world Dream is separated from. Alexander starts at the bottom. He has not marred the binding circle. Dream curses him. 
He remains close to Alexander the whole way until Alexander is climbing the stepladder to cover the last portion in black. His face and the blue of the ceiling is the last thing Dream sees before the last bit of it is masked. Dream plunges into darkness.